I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Psalm 148. Again, I have printed that out on a paper for you just to show you some of the relationships of the lines in the psalm. If you haven't gotten it, I think there are extra copies on the uh, um, uh, welcome table on the outside in the foyer. Uh, And that will help us to, I think, make sense. Um, You'll also notice I'm not going to be reading from what's on your paper. I'm going to read from the scripture. Uh, But what you will notice... Uh, is at the very top, it says that this is from the English Standard Version, but it is adapted by me. In other words, I have uh, transliterated a few words and left them in Hebrew to show you uh, some connections. Now, don't become nervous, because they're all Hebrew words that you have already spoken many times in your life, I know, uh, because it's the word hallelujah, which simply means praise. Uh, so if you want to follow along on the paper that I've given and see the contrast uh, between what we have in our English versions, I think you'll recognize it, but it's going to help me to draw some things together that I believe are going on in uh, Psalm 148. Remember, psalms are poetry, and poetry oftentimes puts things together in a figurative way, uh, not only in the, in the images that they use, but also in the outline or the structure of the psalm itself. Follow along then as I read from God's holy and infallible word, Psalm 148. Hear God's word and receive it with a believing heart. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise Him in the heights. Praise Him, all His angels. Praise Him, all His hosts. Praise Him, sun and moon. Praise Him, all you shining stars. Praise Him, you highest heavens and you waters above the heavens. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for He commanded and they were created, and He established them forever and ever. He gave a decree and it shall not pass away. Praise the Lord from the earth, you great sea creatures and all deeps. Fire and hail, snow and mist, stormy wind fulfilling his word. Mountains and all hills, fruit trees and all cedars. Beasts and all livestock, creeping things and flying birds. Kings of the earth and all peoples. Princes and all rulers of the earth. Young men and maidens together, old men and children Let them praise the name of the Lord, for His name alone is exalted. His majesty is above earth and heaven. He has raised up a horn for His people. Praise for all His saints, for the people of Israel who are near to Him. Praise the Lord. There ends the reading of God's Word. May He also add His blessing to it. Dear congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, as many of you know, I teach Bible classes in prison. And one of the classes that I have been tasked to teach was not one of the divine hope classes, but because of the the restrictions of COVID, uh, there were some other opportunities that opened up, and I agreed to teach one of the classes that the prison requires the men to take in this program. And so I took it on. And in one of the first chapters, the emphasis is that if we live by our feelings, it will always get us into trouble. 
And therefore, the point of the lesson was not to live by feelings, but to live by principle. To live by principle. Now, when I teach classes that are, are to all in prison, I am not allowed to proselytize. In other words, I am not allowed to teach for the sake of converting someone else. When I teach divine hope classes, my hands are not tied. So in this class, when we begin to speak about principle, I can't necessarily tell them that they ought to believe or have to believe, but what I can tell them is, this is what I believe. And so when we came to that, one of that first chapters that said, instead of living by your feelings, and I tried to work that out to see how all of this works out, and, and many of them could see very clearly that in their own lives they had gone off track by following something other than a principle that doesn't change. To give them an illustration of a principle that does not change, I said, for me, I am a Christian. And as a Christian, I need to have something that doesn't change. So that if the weather changes, if my farming fails, if my business goes under, if my, my family gets sick, if war strikes, what's the one thing that never changes? And I said to them, for me, God never changes. And God makes himself known in the Bible. And so for me as a Christian... It is the Bible that is the principle by which I make all my other decisions. I bring that out tonight, congregation, because all of us have a center to our lives. In the church, we would say it is God. But what I've observed in my own life and what I've observed in the lives of other Christians is that's what we say but when we begin to look at our lives, we see that there's some other principle that's operating, and now we make decisions based on money, decisions based on popularity, decisions based on, is this going to get me ahead in life? And so we have to ask ourselves the question, what is our center? And what I'm going to present to you tonight, congregation, is I believe that it is Psalm 148 that brings us to the heart of our center. And so the title I've given this sermon is the cosmic, cosmic meaning worldwide, universe-wide, hallelujah chorus. You're all familiar perhaps with the hallelujah chorus. Hallelujah is simply mean you all praise, and who are you going to praise? Yah. As I mentioned this morning, Yah is the shortened form of Yahweh, or Yahweh, the personal name that God gave to himself. If God is going to be our center, what we praise, in other words, what we worship, we will serve, but the flip side is also true. What we serve, we will also worship. One way to examine that is to look at your life. What are the priorities of your life? And that will reveal your center. Or another way is to look at your credit card statement or your bank statement. What does your bank statement say about what is important 
to you in life. This psalm sets our mind directly on God himself. You'll notice that the psalm is divided into two main portions. The first is praising God from the heavens. And so that's the first thing on your outline. Hallelujah from the heavens. You see that in verse 1? Hallelujah. Hallelujah Yahweh from the heavens. And here we take a look at that and looking at two things. The first is praise God. How do we do that? We praise God by commanding creation. By commanding creation. Notice that word, hallelujah, or praise, is a command form. And you go on and it says, hallelujah, Yahweh, from the heavens, hallelujah, Him, in the heights. And then it goes on to explore that upper realm. And it begins in verse 2 by saying, hallelujah, Him, all His angels, hallelujah, Him, all His hosts. Now the boys and girls know what an angel is. Angel is some kind of a heavenly being. Angels are what we read about from Revelation chapter 4 tonight. They sang, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Well, think about that congregation. Psalm 148 sets the pattern of saying to the angels, angels, praise God. And then it uses another term and it says, praise him all his hosts. Now, host is perhaps not as familiar of a term, but in this context, hosts refer to armies. Host is a military unit, so that it is an army of angels. You individual angels, but also as an army of angels, praise the Lord. The next line, it says, Hallelujah, sun and moon. Hallelujah, all you shining stars. Now here we encounter a problem, don't we? It's one thing to speak to beings that have an intellect such as angels and groups of angels. But how do you command the sun, the moon, and the stars? In one sense, we cannot tell the sun what to do. And we cannot tell the moon what to do. And we cannot tell the stars what to do. So I think what the psalmist has in mind here is, you heavenly bodies, you're already praising God. How does the sun praise God? The sun praises God by doing what it was designed to do. And we experience that today, haven't we? The sunlight, even though we are in this building, the sunlight that filters in through the windows allows us to be able to see and to perceive. The moon that goes around the earth, it praises God by doing what God designed it to do. It is one of the timepieces together with the sun and the stars. We know that purpose because it's stated in Genesis chapter 1. And if you think about it, What does it take for there to be a year? It's the amount of time it takes for the earth to go around the sun. The sun, you see, marks a year. What does it take to to measure a month? Approximately the time it takes for the moon to go around the earth. What about the stars? Maybe some, some of you have heard of astrology 
And maybe you've heard of the horoscope. And they use these heavenly constellations. Constellations are groups of stars. But we need to take that back from the astrologers because astrology is nothing but superstition. But where do the calendar makers know how to, how to in a sense, put things together? How do they know which month that we are in? It is by knowing where we are in the constellations, and this is good to know, especially if you're a farmer, because if you say, you know, we're really having some pretty nice weather, I think I'm going to get my crops in the ground, and you happen to have this unusual warm streak at the, at the end of February or the beginning of March, what happens? You get your crops in the ground, they come up, and the frost bites it and kills it. You want to make sure that you are in the right month when you plant, because if you plant too early, the frost gets it. But if you say, I'm just going to play it safe this year until we have a nice long stretch, and you wait until July to plant, you're not going to have enough time to get your crop in. And so God, you see, has given the stars so that we can see where in the universe we're at. We can also measure it by the length of our days. But do you see how, how the heavens... Namely, the sun, the moon, and the stars being timepieces. They praise God simply by doing what God designed them to be, and we oftentimes take it for granted. But then there's another line, and that is verse 4. Praise Him, you highest heavens, and you waters above the heavens. This borrows language from Genesis chapter 1 in day 2, where God said, let there be an expanse so that the waters above may be separated from the waters below. And now here is the writer who takes those dimensions and he says, praise Him, you highest heavens. Praise Him, you other heavens. Again, how does it praise the Lord? <laughs> this morning we thought about the stars and I'm sorry you got the zeros wrong. But if you think as high as you can go, God is even higher than that. So how do the heights of the heavens praise Him? Because as high as we can think, as far out into outer space as we can think, God is even beyond that. I forget how long ago it was that, the, that NASA sent out this space probe into the outer space, and as it keeps going out further and further and further, it sends back pictures of what it's seeing. And as it's going years and years and years out there, they still have not yet seen the edge of the universe. What does that tell you about our God? Our God is amazingly great. So how is it that we praise the Lord from the heavens? We praise God by commanding creation and simply acknowledging that creation in doing what it was designed to do is bringing praise to God. But that leads to a second thing because you notice at verse 5, it comes to somewhat of a conclusion and in one sense, we can summarize this in our outlines by saying that we ought to develop a conviction for praise. We ought to develop a conviction for praise. At verse 5, you notice I've left a little space there to show you that there's a movement here, but it still fits in the first half of the psalm. It says, let them, hallelujah, the name of Yahweh. Who are the them? It is the angels, it is the host, the sun, the moon, the stars, the highest heavens, and the waters above the heavens. All of that, the psalmist says, let all of them praise the name of Yahweh. Now, the point name here, you notice that I've inserted there, 
reputation. Reputation. Because name isn't just by what's the name, but we all know that there are certain brand names. Right? When you go shopping for certain clothes, you say, oh, that's a really good brand name. And especially if you're garage sailors like our family is, you come across a brand name and you say, wow, look, I can get this for $2. Brand name. Why? The brand name says, this is of good quality. And what the psalmist here is saying, let them hallelujah the name or the reputation of Yahweh, because as you look at them, it says, look what God did. Look what God did. Look what God did. You know, we get pretty good at saying this and doing this in other areas of our life. Right? You you go to your favorite sports team and you watch them play and their name means something. We say it about the great plays in football or baseball or basketball. But did you ever notice we do this with our food too, don't we? Oh, Hudsonville ice cream. We love Hudsonville ice cream. The name. And that tells you what's in the container, right? But are you in the habit of doing that about God? Last week, Sunday night, I was driving back from Des Moines and was able to see a lunar eclipse. I don't know if the rest of you were able to see it. I think you probably had cloudy skies here. But we were able to see the earth move in front, uh, in between the sun and the moon. And we were able to see it and, in a sense, perceive that I was on this body of uh, this planet called Earth moving across the sky and was able to look at it and say, that's God's design. He goes on to say, you see, in verse 5, and gives us a reason. For, for then, let them hallelujah the name of Yahweh. Why? For he commanded. That is, God commanded and they were created. And he established them forever and ever. He gave a decree and it shall not pass away. I remember years ago, our family took a vacation out to the West Coast and, and we were at a little cottage and in the drawer of one of these uh, uh, dressers was a chart of the tides, of when the tide goes out and when it comes in. And it had mapped it out for an entire year. Had the exact time, not just around 6.30, but it was 6.33 and 7.22 and 8.25. Very precise. Now, how could they do that? Because of this decree. You see, God has established the heavenly bodies in such a way that you can set your watch by it, your calendar by it. And that's how, when it, when it shows up on your smartphone, the time is exactly 8.35 and 53 seconds. How do they know that? Because there's an atomic clock that keeps track on where we are in our universe based on our relationship to the stars and to the sun and the moon. You see how God has things in such an orderly and precise way? And don't you see what kind of order that brings to our life? You ever go to bed at night, boys and girls, wondering, I wonder if the sun is going to come up tomorrow? We never think that, do we? 
Because God has set a decree and it is always exactly the way that he said it would be. Praise the Lord from the heavens. But that leads us to the second half of the psalm. And notice that verse 7, it says, Hallelujah from the earth. Don't you like how nicely the psalmist has laid it out from the heavens, now from the earth? And notice, notice in one sense, in this part, he moves just the opposite. Um, in the first part, he begins with the, the creatures, right? The angels and the hosts, and then ends up kind of with the environment. Here, he begins with the creatures, and then he's going to move down from there. And so he says, you great sea creatures. And he uses a term here for some of the biggest, largest creatures that would have been known at that time, and all deeps. And so he starts deep, deep down. And then he moves to the the environment, and he talks about the fire and hail, snow and mist, stormy wind, and notice this, fulfilling his word. Jonah encountered this. When you read the book of Jonah, you'll notice that God, it says that that God stirred up a great storm, a great wind. God did that. You see, our weather forecasters, they can oftentimes, arrogantly, I think, say, uh, one, one broadcaster will say to the other, so what kind of weather do you have for us today? And he says, well, this is the weather I have for you. no. This is the weather that God is giving to us and our best forecast based on the way that he has brought weather to us before. This is our best guess, but it's going to be up to God what weather he gives us today. And whatever God's weather gives to us, it is for his purposes. Have you ever recognized, congregation, how the weather changes our plans so quickly? One of the difficult concepts of our students to grasp is the idea of free will. Don't I have the right to choose whatever I choose? And I say, well, you make decisions and you make very real decisions. But if it's in the middle of the winter and I say to them, how come you, got a, how come you wore a coat today? Because it was cold. I say, well, if God is the creator of the heavens and the earth, who made it cold? God did. Yes, they made a very real, real decisions to wear, to wear a coat that day, but they chose according to their own nature. Do you see, congregation, how God even uses the stormy wind to fulfill His Word and to accomplish His purposes? But then He goes on in, in verse 9 to the mountains. And I want you to notice what we're doing here. We are developing a God-centered view of the world. This is a God-centered view of the world. You see, we need to train our minds to see the world from God's standpoint and from God being the creator of it. Verse 9, it talks about the mountains and the hills. A couple weeks ago, I was in the state of Washington and was able to see Mount Baker on a very clear day. And even though the temperatures were very warm, Mount Baker was snow-covered. My sister lives out there, and they said, yes, one summer we actually went up to Mount Baker, and we went sledding in July in shorts and T-shirts. What are the mountains good for? 
Well, among other things, the mountains provide snow that eventually melts and makes the water that continues to flow down our rivers even through the course of the season. Mountains also are very, very impressive. If you've ever been to the mountains and you ride through them and you look tall and and actually you see them in a distance and you can ride for hours and it seems like you never get to them. But when you finally get to them, you look up and you think, this is amazing. What do those mountains say about the greatness of God? He's magnificent. But what he's doing here, congregation, he says, mountains and all hills. In other words, the highest point and and the other ones that are lower and everything in between. And then he goes on to the trees. He talks about the fruit trees. Here in West Michigan are all kinds of fruit trees. You've got cherry trees and apple trees and pear trees and so forth. What a variety. And God has given all of this to us to eat. But not only that, but he gives us other kind of trees. He gives us cedar trees. What do we do with cedar trees? Cedar trees are usually very, very impressive to look at. But it's also oftentimes from the cedar trees that we we take the wood and, and it's large enough that we can now begin to cut it into boards and build houses and do things with that. Our lives depend upon that. But then he moves from the inanimate objects, right? The hail, the snow, the storm, the mountains and the hills, the fruit trees. How do they praise the Lord? By doing what they were designed to do and to be. But then we move on to the beast. Look at verse 10. Beast and all livestock, creeping things and flying birds, they are to praise the Lord. And again, how do beasts who cannot think, at least not as we do, they cannot know God as we do, how can the beasts of the field, how can the birds, by doing what God designed them to do? Think about all that we've learned from the beasts of the field. Those who invented airplanes, do you know where they got their ideas for putting wings and things like that? By studying the birds. How do you control an airplane? They studied the birds. In other words, they went to the designer of designers and to say, how was it done? Even the unbeliever who doesn't know God, what does he do? He looks at the creation of God and gets to, begins to get ideas. So how are we to praise God? By saying, God had the idea first. You take something as simple as Velcro. Velcro came from studying the, the system of 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 hooks on animals, the wings of birds, and how they work together, and they began to take that idea in order to make Velcro. God is praised when we recognize that these are His ideas. But then we move, you see, congregation, we move from the animals, and now we move to human beings. Verse 11, kings of the earth and all peoples, princes, and all rulers. Now I want to point something that we've kind of overlooked so far, and I want you to notice the emphasis on the all. Kings of the earth and all peoples, princes and all rulers. And if you go back to the psalm, I think there's about 17 times that the word all is mentioned to emphasize that everything. You see, this psalm cannot be exhaustive, and so it has to throw in the word all. 
It simply gives us some of the dimensions and it, it now goes to those who are governors, those who have responsibilities to oversee nations. Congregation, this ought to give us a great sense of comfort and confidence in the times in which we live. As we see things going on in the Ukraine, in Russia, but also as we see things going on politically in our own nation, always tell yourself that God is in control. Yes, the kings of the earth might make their decisions. The presidents of the earth might make their policies. Yes, those in governing authority might make very ungodly decisions, but God is still above them. And that's what this psalm is celebrating. Praise God. Hallelujah from the earth. Hallelujah Yahweh from the earth. And then it goes on in verse 12 to have contrasts. Young men and maidens together. In other words, it's talking about male and female. And it especially uses the term of young people. Let me say this to the boys and girls and especially to those who are in high school. You do not need to wait until you get to be an adult to say, now I will follow God. Now is the time. And even children and young people can praise the name of the Lord as much as an adult does. How do you do that? By doing what God has called you to do and to be. And that means in the last week or two of school that you have, what has God called you to do? To be a student. And even if math isn't your strong point and you don't care for reading and history, do it to the best of your ability. Why? Because you're doing it to the glory of God. And when you get beyond high school, then maybe God makes another path and clear as to where you ought to go and what you ought to do and what you ought to be. But if you are saying, I belong to God and I want my life to count for God, doesn't mean that you have to become a, a seminary professor. It simply means whatever God gives your hand to do, you do it with all of your might. And so he says, the young and the, uh, excuse me, the young men and the maidens, in other words, uh, the young boys or young men and the young ladies. But then it also talks about old men and children. In other words, those of you who are 80, 90, maybe even approaching 100 years old, as well as the little toddler. All of them, from the oldest to the youngest, and everybody in between, is to join this chorus of praise. But then notice, at verse 13, there's a, a shift. And it says, let them hallelujah the name or the reputation of Yahweh. Why? For His name, that is, His reputation alone is exalted. And here's where we want to, if you're filling out your outlines here, here's where we need to recognize God's superior reputation. God's superior reputation. We had started with the heavens... And yes, His name is great in the heavens, but now we come to verse 13 and it says, for the name that is the reputation, that His reputation alone is exalted. And here's where we need to subdue our own pride. It goes on to say in verse 13, His majesty, His majesty is above earth and heaven. 
You see what the psalmist is doing. We just cover the space of the earth. His majesty is above the earth, but his majesty is also above the heaven, which we have seen in verses 1 through 6. Only he is to be exalted. Now this leads us to the last detail in our outline. I told you the psalm is really divided into two parts, but I've added a third point because I believe that the structure is pointing us to something rather significant that comes to a very practical application even more than what we've seen already for you and me. Look at this in verse 14. Verse 14. And if you match it back with verse 6, right? In verse 6 it says, and he established them forever. Verse 14 in the Hebrew language should include an and. And he has raised up for a horn for his people. I don't know about you, but that sends shivers up my back. We've been talking about the majesty of God in the heavens. The majesty of God on the earth. And then he says, what has this God done whose name is above all names, who is exalted above all all others? What has he raised up? He has raised up a horn for his people. Now, what is a horn? In this context, a horn refers to the horns of an animal. Let me show you how it's used poetically in another place. If you go back with me to Psalm 92, verse 10. Psalm 92, verse 10. You'll notice that we have a a definition or an idea of what it means. Psalm 92, verse 10, where the psalm writer says, But you have exalted my horn like that of a wild ox. What does a wild ox use his horns for? That's his mechanism of self-defense. He uses his horn as as a form of strength. That's how an ox is able to do things with his head, lift things up, uh, drive people away, drive animals away. It's his strength. You see what he's saying in Psalm 148? The Lord has lifted up the horn like that of a wild ox, and he has done it for his people. But then look at the next line. I've tried to line up the word for. You see that? A horn for his people. And here's where I'm going back to the Hebrew. In your English Bibles that says praise, but I put in the word hallel. Hallel. Right? Hallelujah way in the heavens. Hallelujah way on the earth. Now what is God doing? He is raising up a hallel, in other words, a praise for whom? For all his, and in your English Bibles it says saints, but the word for saints is this, for all his steadfast loved ones. Steadfast loved ones. Remember this morning we had looked at the word chesed, Steadfast love, the English Standard Version tries to emphasize that God's steadfast love is is that chesed, like the legality of a marriage relationship, but also the love of a marriage relationship. 
Well, who are the people in that relationship with God? They are the steadfast loved ones because they live in a relationship of steadfast love. First, they are loved by a steadfast God, but then they respond with some level of steadfast love, which sometimes we call faithfulness. Faithfulness. So what has God done? He has raised up a horn for His people. Who are His people? And what is that horn? The horn is His praise, and it is for His steadfast loved ones. But before I go to the last line, I want to draw to your attention one other use of the word horn in the book of Psalms. Turn with me in the book of Psalms to 132, verse 17. 132, 17. And since Psalms 146, 147, 148, 149, and 150 are like a conclusion, I think we need to keep in mind an earlier definition that is emphasized throughout the Psalms. I'm just going to give you one instance here. 132, verse 7. Excuse me, 17 where he's talking about Zion, right? We've sung about Zion today. We've sung about Zion tonight. And this psalm is about going up to Zion, up to Jerusalem for the feast, uh, uh, various feasts. In verse 17, it says, There I will make a horn. Notice that? I will make a horn to sprout for David. What is that horn? Let me give you two uh, answers to that question. The horn of David is going to be Jesus Christ. What is the horn by which the people of God will celebrate and praise? It's going to be Jesus Christ who comes about a thousand years after David and they rejoice in the power of Jesus Christ. But when we come to verse 14 of Psalm 148, I want you to see something else. I want you to see something else. At verse 48 it says, For the people, excuse me, a praise for all His steadfast loved ones. What we have here in Psalm 48 is the gathering of God's people together. What's going to be the great choir in heaven? We've, sit, we've seen it today from the book of Revelation. There's going to be this choir that sings, Holy, holy, holy. They're going to say, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. And in the slaying of the Lamb, the nations are gathered from every tribe and tongue and nation. If you're taking notes here in this last section, what we're talking about here is Hallel for His people. And we see that halal action. It is halal action where we talk of what God has done for us. God is building a church and we are part of that. And that also includes a halal love. A halal love. Halal love for all of His steadfast loved ones. God has loved us in the Lord Jesus Christ, but it is in our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ that we are exalted. And then finally, I want you to know the halal relationship the halal relationship what is this relationship notice that last line in verse 13 where it says for the children of israel 
right? He's describing his steadfast loved ones for the children of Israel who are near to him. Congregation, how are you near to God? Jesus said to Philip, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. How is it that we come near to God? We come near to God when we open the pages of Scripture and we read Jesus. We come near to God when we come to Him in our prayer and we pray through Jesus. God is somebody who is not far away like the heavens are. God is not simply far away like the, the, the wind and, and somewhat impersonal like the wind. No, He is a God who enters into a relationship with us through the Lord Jesus Christ. We can know this God. When Philip in John chapter 14 says to Jesus, he says, just show us the Father. Show us the Father. And what does Jesus say to Philip at that point? Philip, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. Congregation, as we read our Bibles, we meet Jesus. And if you have met Jesus in the pages of Scripture, you have met God. You see, God isn't isn't in the business of trying to hide Himself, but making Himself known. And He makes Himself known through Jesus Christ. And then, since Jesus Christ has ascended into heaven, we begin to recognize Jesus in the pages of Scripture by the Holy Spirit. How is it that God is near to us by living inside of us by His Spirit. Could God be any closer? Could God be any nearer? Not at all. Do you see, congregation, how God is the center of our life? Everything that we do, all the decisions that we make, as we go forth through life, Things will change. You get older. Your health falters. People that you love become ill. A business or a job that you once depended upon is gone. I started telling you about my class. But let me tell you about some of my students And I'm going to tell you generally so that it's not just one, but here's a common theme. Perhaps the most common testimony that I hear is a student who says, I don't like being in prison, but it's the best thing that ever happened to me. Because if I were still out on the streets, I would probably be dead because of who I was hanging around with. But more importantly, it was here in prison that I met God. And God has changed my entire life. Why? Because they get a new center. It is in that relationship with God, it is in praising God and recognizing that everything in their life is for the sake and the glory of God that gives them peace. In fact, one student just this week said, that's when everything changed for me. And he says, now I consider myself 
to be more free in prison than many of the people I knew on the outside who are supposedly free but are still under the dominion and slavery of sin. Congregation, do you see how our hearts ought to scream out, Hallelujah from the heavens. Hallelujah from the earth. For God has lifted us up to be part of His family and to be citizens in His kingdom. I can't think of a more noble, majestic place to be than to be a member of Christ's kingdom and a son or a daughter in God's family. Amen. Father in heaven, help us to find our identity in you. We admit that we oftentimes find our identity in our own accomplishments. We seek to find our identity in our work, in the amount of money that we have, in the people that we know, in the families that we belong to. But Father, may we come to realize that all of these things are gifts from you. All of these details in our world have been created by you. The sun, moon, and the stars. The angels and the hosts in heaven. The mountains and the hills, the fruit trees and the cedars. The kings of the earth. Young men and young women. Old people and youngsters. O Father in heaven, may we find our identity in you and in you alone. Lord, hear our prayer for Jesus' sake. Amen.